It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Welcome in to Extra Innings right here on the Sports Objective Podcast. Our very first one, and with us right now, Kyle from LaGrange, Barbara, how are you, man? What's going on, Dave? Nice to start the season off with this week. Uh, yeah, I got my broom out. Very happy. How are you, Bubba Rose? Doing well, guys. Excellent weekend for the Diamond Pirates. No doubt about it. With us right now with the play-by-play voice of the ECU Pirates, a fan of Sam Jones Barbecue and Barbecue in general, it's Corey Glore. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, gentlemen. I agree with everything you've said so far to open the show. All right, good. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, Great uh, weekend for the Pirates. I know that uh, expectations are high, Corey Glore, but uh, you know what? The most important thing on the, uh, the weekend is we won three games. And I know Cliff was uh, talking about today, it's very difficult to get a sweep. And we got a sweep, so a great way to start the, the season. Yeah, the 2019 team made sweeps look easy, and so this was nothing given heading into the final game. When, when you sweep seven weekends like this team did last year, uh, and you had three other chances to sweep series last year, uh, you can almost take for granted being in this spot, but especially early in the year when there are a lot of uncertainties about not just what you have, but the opponent that you're facing. And you can have a lot of things thrown at you that you don't have a ton of film on, that you don't have a ton of prep work for. Um, going out there today uh, and and winning this game in what was a very strange game. Um, Sundays can get weird, and today was, today was certainly weird, but to, to play from in front the entire way and get the big pitches when you need to down the stretch, um, the, this was a good game to have early on the year, to have some pressure moments build up throughout the game and to come through all of them successfully and to start off 3-0. And, Corey, before we break down the, all, the whole series, I have to ask you a question. Historical weekend, guys, for Corey Glore because – it's the first time in his tenure as play-by-play that he doesn't have a really long drive back to Winston-Salem. He's actually in Greenville. Does it? Do you feel cheated now, Corey? Do you feel any better that you're close by? You're very close to the stadium now. Uh, I feel loads better. Uh, I do not feel cheated in the least. Uh, the fact that I can do this with you gentlemen from the comfort of my own home instead of on Interstate 40 somewhere. Yeah, uh, I, you, you guys. It killed a lot of time on my drives. Uh, you made that drive fly by, and I think one of you is making a similar drive at the moment. Um, but, uh, no, the fact that I can do this sitting on my couch and, and you know, just, you know, you know, shoes off, walking around, whatever the case <laughs> might be, uh, I am looking forward to doing this many more times. Now, Corey, um, you brought up an interesting point, and it's something that Dave were actually discussing with my parents at dinner just as far as, the way we won three different types of ball games, so you you won an extra inning game on Friday where you had to rally from one nothing down in the late innings, and then you um, won a blowout yesterday, and then today you had you had that lead, and then William and Mary sent the go ahead run to the plate there late, and we were able to get the critical out with uh, Ryder Giles making his second relief appearance of the day. No, every game had a different flavor to it. The, the first two were similar in regards to uh, the pitching performances from inning one to inning nine or 11, depending on which game it was. You just got some sensational pitching 
Friday and Saturday. And then today started out that way with, with Cooch Maynard, and then every reliever that came in started off great, ran into some trouble, and then the person who came in to grab him started out great and usually slammed the door on any sort of rally that William & Mary had. So the, this final game uh, had a lot to maneuver through, and you saw a lot of guys come in and perform at a very decent level to pull out this third win on the weekend. And I wanted to mention also um, kudos to Cliff Godwin on many things, but one of the things I've been tickled to death, and I know you talked about it on the broadcast, but I'm tickled to death about the wristbands. I'm tickled about death of having a, a new pitching coach with new blood in Corey. I believe it's a huge difference. I know um, you talked yesterday about uh, Tyler Smith's performance. I know we're bouncing all around. Well, Bubba's probably going, oh, my God, we need to talk Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, like in the – in order, but um, I thought that overall I'm very happy with uh, Jason Dietrich. That just goes back again to Cliff Godwin uh, having deep respect. The fact that the Giants and other pro organizations want Jason Dietrich speaks a lot, and then the fact that he wants to stay here, I think that speaks volumes to Cliff Godwin and, and what a program he's built in Greenville. Yeah, earlier turns are pretty good, weren't they, from, from the pitchers over the yeah. first three games, and I mean, I think Tyler Smith is probably the guy that stands out in the in a spotlight from everything we saw this weekend. I mean, there are a couple of relievers that we have seen before that have looked almost radically different from what we saw a season ago. Um, but what Tyler did Saturday, um, that that's the best I've seen him. And he had, you know, you, you go back to his sophomore year when he was yeah. borderline unhittable. Um, and a conference and on the all-conference team to end the year, um, that that was scary stuff from Tyler Smith Saturday. In five innings, there there was almost no uh, no sense of pressure, no sense of issue from what he was doing, and he was mixing everything so well. It was the the, the twelve-six curveball that's as good as I've ever seen from him, and, and I saw that in. in scrimmages, and I, and I think we might have discussed it a little bit when, when we last chatted, his breaking ball, his curveball um, was really standing out, and it stood out Saturday as well. Um, and he was still getting the weak contacts that he thrived on over the last few years, but then he also backed it up with six strikeouts, and um, he would have been clear to go for a sixth inning, but the Pirate offense had some lengthy frames in the fourth and the fifth of that game, and so... Coach Godwin said, we have a big lead. It's probably okay for you to, to take the rest of the day off. And, and a couple of guys came in out of the bullpen and did their job. But uh, the Tyler Smith is one of the biggest takeaways for me from that opening weekend. He, he was awesome, absolutely awesome. And, it, and definitely the confidence that he has and, and having a different pitching coach. Plus, I know that you talked about it, but um, I know the pressure he felt with the, the group of guys that, was in his class uh, last year being juniors. He put a lot of pressure on himself, and I think that played a part in it. And it's also good to have, for his senior year, he has a new, fresh set of eyes. When um, And I think that's very important. Nothing against uh, Roselle. I liked him a lot. But I think that it's great to have, a, I've said it um, in pre way before the beginning of the season, sometimes it takes a little coaching change here and there, and next thing you know, you, you're uh, – that might be the difference between making just a regional or going deeper into the playoffs. Yeah, sometimes you just need a change of voice. And, right. and some guys need it, some guys don't. And 
I mean, the, the work that Dan Roselle did uh, was as good as any pitching coach that's ever come through this university. Um, and he he got a, a, a job in the SEC because of it, and he deserves it. You know, six ways till Sunday here. But for a guy like Tyler Smith, sometimes just hearing things from a different point of view can unlock something. And I think, you know, it's one start for him, but we I think everyone who watched the game saw a, a difference in how he was performing on the hill, the stuff that he had, how he presented himself. Um, the, the the challenge of having a disappointing junior year, seeing your friends in the pitching staff and around the team, Jake Agnos, Trey Benton, Brickhouse, Packard, Washer, all these guys drafted, and you thought you were going to be in that same group, and you weren't. And so coming in, knowing that you had to remake yourself and also having a new pitching coach that you have one year to try and get on the same page with. Um, and there's been no sign of concern for anybody about that. that it's, it's very challenging what Tyler Smith is doing and that coming into his final year with a new pitching coach, knowing that last year didn't go his way, and a lot of that group that he came in with is now gone, and saying, you know what, it happened, and I'm going to go out there and do what I can do. And one start in, boy, if that's what we can get from a, a new-look Tyler Smith, then this team's going to win a ton of ball games over the weekend because that, that was some special stuff Saturday. What's he done different? Do you know anything he's done different besides, obviously, the pitching coach? Do you know anything he's done personally different this offseason? to get himself zoned in? And, I mean, is he just taking things more seriously, worked harder? Do, do, do you know? No, I, nothing really personally. He took the summer off. He didn't go right. to play in, in, in summer ball or anything like that. I mean, part part of one of the things he's trying to figure out is, is longevity in games and, and because that was an issue in his junior, getting deeper into the games uh, and adjusting to a third time through the order. He didn't get that opportunity on Saturday. He could have gone deeper, but but they pulled him anyway because they had such a big lead and he had a couple long pauses there. But I think he's come in just with a fresh, clear head of, yeah, if someone, if a major league team wants me, I'm a senior signee this year, and whatever happens, happens. I can go out there and put a ton of pressure on myself to get teams to force me, or I can go out and do what I was brought in to do. And, and throw this curveball that I haven't thrown since my sophomore year, and I can still go after my weak contact and let the chips fall where they may. And so he is he is relaxed a lot heading into his senior year. And there's something to be said about you know not toning in too seriously about how you present yourself on the mound, but just you know kind of unlocking your your head a little bit and just letting things happen and and, and letting the, the chips fall where they may. Um, that's what Tyler seems to have done heading in. Corey, I had a question about the other than forcing it. Yeah. Corey, I had another quick uh, question, Mark, as far as pitching staff is concerned with the injury. I've assumed it'll be another week or two. What's the status? Have you heard about Gavin Williams? Uh, how, how are things progressing for him? Uh, your assumption is slightly unwarranted. I have not heard anything specific. Um, but there's a reason why this opening weekend was the only one he was ruled out for because they think he might be able to go against Georgia Southern. Uh, It will depend on how things look this week. He was throwing a little bit in practice 
before the weekend series against William and Mary. Okay. Uh, and so the the team will will kind of navigate cautiously with Gavin, but um, they're they're optimistic uh, that he could make his debut this coming weekend against Georgia Southern. Nothing set in stone. It will depend on the next few days and how that finger looks. Um, but that they haven't ruled him out for this coming weekend. Corey, sticking with the starting pitching theme um, before we can transition to the tremendous effort out of the bullpen um, by most of the options and guys that saw time this weekend, let's take a look at, at Burley. Um, obviously, he was getting the ball in the season opener for a reason, and, um, and Burley went seven innings. I, I can't recall exactly. I want to say something like, 80 pitches, give or take a couple, and then um, he scattered those six hits. Obviously, that solo home run that had given William and Mary the lead uh, going into the late innings. But talk about uh, Burley being his um, typical uh, steady and extremely reliable self. Yeah, I mean, he gave up back-to-back hits to open the season, and then right after that, just smooth sailing. I mean, I think he was like a lot of guys Friday where, you know, as much as you can – prepare for an opening day and even if this is your third year or fourth year or fifth year whatever the case might be you will still have um some jitters when the season finally starts and you're playing someone new and so uh that was the case early on with Alec and uh, he gave up a couple of base hits but then he left him there and that game is is very different if even one of those runners scores uh, to open up the season so right after that, it's like he needed to – it's like he almost needed to be in a little bit of a pressure spot early to get comfortable earlier on, to get to get snapped into, you know, locked in on the mound sort of mode instead of trying to ease into things a little bit. Suddenly he had to work through a jam right away. Uh, and once he got out of it, he, he looked like the Alec Burleson that's on so many watch lists, so many preseason honoree lists, the preseason player of the year. And he also had a couple hits and set up the winning run of the 11th. So um, that was a typical Alec Burleson sort of night, uh, even what what turned out to be a spot start for him. And then today you had, uh, obviously, Jake Cooch-Maynard. We knew that he was on a limited pitch count on battling a a nagging injury, and um, we knew that he wasn't going to go more than two or three innings, and, and he worked a couple of hitless frames. Yeah, I thought he looked pretty good. I thought the second inning was a little bit, uh, off, it seemed like he was struggling to find the zone a little bit there in the second inning. But when you're talking about a guy who's only thrown one inning in spring ball, um, uh, that's natural to to have that sort of you know trying to hunt and peck the zone a little bit there. Um, but like he had done during his sophomore year, he he got it done. That first inning was pretty clean. Uh, he had a great play by Francisco to open the day, uh, and then worked around the leadoff walk. Uh, and got another strikeout, and his day was done. Uh, I'm sure he would have loved to go a little bit further, but you know, there's there's a long game in play here for for Jay Kuchmaner, and I think the stuff looked good today. Um, the, I think he, he would tell you that the location will will come with with a little bit more time here, and we'll see what that brings next weekend against Georgia Southern, but. Um, he, he got the thing rolling here today, and then everyone else just kind of fell in line. Taking a look at the bullpen, I think it was either like 10 or 11 arms were able to see action, and the ones that really jumped out, obviously Garrett Saylor is probably the first for that. You were talking um, on our preview 
just how much uh, improvement you'd seen from Garrett, and he certainly has shown that on opening weekend. Uh, we we saw it in a couple of games, and then obviously also Matt Bridges had an excellent outing on Friday where he um, continued to put up a couple of zeros there in the late innings and striking out four in, in two frames. Yeah, I, I think both guys, we knew from years past about uh, the slider of Matt Bridges, but I think this weekend was the first time we really got to experience the slider of Garrett Saylor, and especially Friday uh, when when he got the win in 11 innings. He had a wipeout slider going in that game to the point where there was, frankly, debate in the press box as to just what that pitch was. I mean, it looked like a 12-6, but it was at 81, 82 miles per hour, had a little bit of a wrinkle to it, a little bit of a slide. He confirmed to me it was a slider, but there were a lot of people trying to figure out just what that was. Um, I mean, he, that's the stuff that we saw in scrimmages heading in that really uh, turned some heads. For, and just mentality-wise, makeup-wise, he's so much more confident in his stuff heading into a sophomore year. And you saw that bear out over his two appearances over the weekend. And the thing that stood out to me with, with Bridges, um, we knew that slider was good. And, and it looked great like it did on Friday and on Sunday, um, when Bridges was back on the mound two years ago, and especially that freshman year, he's a pretty quiet, calm, collected guy. Uh, that's one of the more extroverted pitching performances I've seen from him, both on Friday and on Sunday when he got out of the jam. Um, he's taken the reins of being uh, not, not just a leader of, like, let me show you what I can do, but uh, he's a very vocal guy now. He, it's a very change of character for Matt Bridges, who uh, made it clear that while he was rehabbing from surgery, he wanted to help the team, be around the team uh, during the 2019 season, and, and lead that way as much as he could. And now that he flies in after rehabbing, and he can show all these guys what he's capable of that a lot of people may not remember who are on this team right now or may not have even ever seen um, he, he, there's a there's a, a difference character-wise to Matt Bridges as well, not just with the stuff that we saw uh, on Friday and on Sunday. Corey, I certainly noticed what you were saying as far as Garrett Saylor is concerned. Um, that's what I, I noticed. Uh, he was pitching with a bit of a swagger. You could tell he was very confident out there on the mound today. Yeah, I mean, and that's it's very rare for freshmen to come in and just automatically demand confidence and be comfortable in their own skin at the Division One baseball level, especially pitching with a program that has the aspirations that this one does. Uh, and Garrett Saylor was, was trying to find his way last year. Carter Spivey trying to find his way last year. These freshman pitchers um, that, that didn't see a ton of burn um, were, were trying to figure out where they could slide in, where they could fit in. And um, when they got that opportunity, what did they have to do to keep it? And and now that pressure is off the the both of those. And I'm going to put Spivey in that mix too because he looked great on Saturday. Um, and now now there's not that same level of um, scrutiny that they're putting on themselves of maybe trying to do more than they're capable of. They they know what they can do, uh, and, and now they're going to go out there and show it to everybody. And we saw it from both of those guys this weekend. Obviously, on Friday, um, taking a look at things on the offensive side, a bit of a slow start. As Cliff mentioned after the game, he just thought um, 
a little anxious early on, not letting the game come to them. Uh, but as the game wore on, we started threatening more and more before breaking through in the, in the later innings. And then, obviously, 18 runs the last two days. And you had guys like uh, that you would expect to see production from, like Thomas Francisco with a five-hit weekend and reaching base eight of 11 times. But then you also had uh, Zach Agnos uh, with a five-hit weekend and then also Connor Norby with five hits in his home run today. Yeah, we just mentioned about how freshmen being comfortable in their own skin heading into D1 baseball is very rare. And then there's Zach Agnos, who looked extremely comfortable this whole weekend. <laughs> um, and there's, there's a, he's, a different, he's a different type of guy. Like he, I mean, there, there's a, a very similar feeling to him around what we saw with another guy who wore that number not too long ago. Um, and, and it's telling that the, the first the first base runner of the season, the first hit of the season, went to him of all people. Um, in a lineup filled with guys that we know can do a lot of stuff, it, it's the, the freshman that's highly touted that comes in, just smacks one to right, and gets the offense a little bit rolling on Friday. And then he just kept doing it and kept getting on base and kept making plays defensively on Saturday behind Tyler Smith, and and then showed up on the mound today. And there was a a different side of Zach Agnos on the hill today where um, it, it, he almost seemed over-amped. I mean, he, he looked like his brother stalking around on the mound uh, <laughs> on Sunday. Like, there, 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 all of a sudden, there was a kind of a an amped-up uh, individual pitching today. Uh, but we saw, we saw some of the stuff he could do. Um, but offensively, he was as consistent as anybody. Francisco had a great weekend. Um, it, it took some of these guys a good couple innings Friday to get really back into it. Uh, and once they did and they didn't stop hitting the ball, Carter Norby hit. A- Corey, I wanted to mention, too, that enjoyed the obviously your call this weekend, you and Coach O. Um, one of the highlights for me, speaking of that, is when you have your segment, which I love, at Corey Glory, by the way, folks, during, if you don't know, I don't know why you wouldn't, but Corey gets people to chime in where they're, where they're listening to the game from. And uh, how about all the players? That just speaks well for the program and Cliff Godwin when you have a whole bunch of different, but my favorite was when Trey Benton was talking about how Zach Agnos was the better Agnos. And yes. eventually Jake did chime in. Can you talk about that? Yeah, uh, it, I, I heard from both Jake and Trey. Uh, um, yeah, Saturday is when I heard from Jake that he was tuning in from Florida. And then as soon as I mentioned that, uh, suddenly I got a message from Trey Benton in Arizona uh, tuning in. And uh, he said his favorite brother is uh, Zach Agnos and not Jake. And uh, Jake pondered that for a while, it sounds like, uh, and then responded with, uh, an extremely humble and gracious message uh, about how uh, he hopes that his brother has a better career than he does. He's going to be a beast. Uh, and that was a very Jake Agnos response. And I didn't hear from Trey the rest of the day. So maybe that quieted <laughs> Trey. Maybe Jake won that battle <laughs> off of that. Um, but uh, And, and I, I do remember seeing um, Trey put on, on one of his social media accounts Friday uh, he had the, 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 our game on, on one computer screen, uh, and then the UNCW game on the other because he's got two rooting interests now with his twin younger brothers, uh, one here and one in UNCW. And so he's going to be keeping very busy, keeping track of, 
of everything out east here, uh, not just the program that, that he spent time at and loves, but now seeing uh, both Cole and Cody uh, starting out their D1 careers. And uh, Wes Covington chimed in as well, tuning in from Memphis, and, and I, I've been hearing from Spencer Brickhouse. He's been sending me movie lines uh, for that opening weekend, and, and it, it's great to it, – it's a great testament to this program. Uh, that you know all these guys who are into the professional ranks who are graduated and, and into their next chapter of lives still keep coming back to East Carolina, and it's such an important part for them. Um, you, you could have guys that could just say, you know what, you know, it, it's time to move on, whatever the case might be. But this program has built something that um, that guys keep coming back to and want to be a part of. And all the former players that were around in the offseason for scrimmages to work out, um, whether they're in pro ball or not, Connor Litton's back getting his degree here at East Carolina. Um, like Stuff like that is what Cliff Godwin has been wanting to build here. That, that was a big focal point for him when he got the job, is to make this place home for the players that come through here and that they're always welcome back. And you're seeing that here early on with all the, all, everyone that, that used to be here um, tuning in and watching and wanting to be a part of this team. And by the way, folks, uh, I was going to make one more final point, Bubba. Um, the, the fact that the Benton family has, of course, Trey Benton, then the two uh, twin brothers, Cole and Cody, and there's a fourth brother that's being recruited right now, right? Well, he's not being recruited. He's way too young. But uh, oh, okay. I joked on Saturday that That's what I heard. Uh, okay. the battle's already beginning uh, okay. for, for the youngest Benton. Uh, we'll see what materializes there. But, uh, no, I believe he is still uh, in late grade school or uh, oh, okay. or maybe okay. early middle school. Chase Benton is the, is the, the youngster. Um, but, yeah, the Bentons are going to get some mileage in. Uh, because and I, I actually tried to pick their brain. How are you going to divvy up and, and schedule all these games this year? Because they live close to Fayetteville, um, and so it's a closer drive to Wilmington than it is to, to, to Greenville for them. But I, I think they're going to schedule and sculpt some things out with some extended family and try and be at as many games as possible. And I think they're very happy and also very nervous that ECU and UNCW play three times this year, not just the regular two. Uh, so that they can uh, they can see their kids play each other three times and um, save a little bit of gas money in the process. That's how Wilmington scored today. It seems like they lost to somebody odd. Uh, uh, I didn't, didn't see, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to look it up here in a second. Corey, getting back to the weekend that some of the guys had, um, a guy that we have not really touched on yet is Seth Cadell. And I, I know Cliff was very quick to say this in his post-game remarks on Friday when talking to the media and just how uh, Seth, yes, that was awesome that he had the walk-off single to center field, but he was much more uh, quick to praise Seth for the job he did behind the plate blocking the baseball. Yeah, that's that's the reason why Cadell was the catcher for for Jake Kuchmaner last year, and we discussed this before, is because of his defensive ability and his ability to block block pitches in the dirt to get low. Coach Godwin was a, a massive fan of Cadell's ability to do that last year. That's that's how he kept getting that regular playing time every weekend was because of his defensive work. And then we knew heading in to his career that he had the power ability, um, and now he's getting the chance to be the consistent presence in the lineup 
but that position is uh, of the utmost importance to Cliff Godwin, and it starts on the defensive side for him. And you've got to be a general of the game, and you have to know what's going on everywhere on the field from the first moment to the last to perform at a high level that, that Cliff Godwin's hoping for from that position. Uh, and, and Cadell has, has earned that right more than anybody so far. Uh, and, yeah, he, he offensively had a good weekend, but defensively, I mean, you can't think of, you know, uh, an instance this weekend where a ball got by him. I mean, th- there was one wild pitch that I can think of, and that was when Cadell was out of the game, uh, and that came in Saturday's game. Uh, but he kept everything in front, he kept everything nearby, and he kept the running game at bay. Uh, and that's that's the main job uh, of of a catcher, is to manage the pitching staff, which had a great weekend, uh, and be a rock behind the plate defensively. And that's exactly what Cadell was. And so well, when Cliff actually, that's his position, so he's obviously going to, that, that has to be an important position. If you're going to, you have to be a great catcher because he's going to be, I'm sure the most critical of that position more than anyone, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it starts there. Like, I mean, you can say the, the pitcher has the ball first, and whatever the pitcher does, will dominoes will fall after that. Um, but the, the catcher sees everything. And the, one of the things that, that Coach Godwin said to me prior to the season, um, you have to play with a purpose and play with an energy um, that's different than everyone else at the catcher spot because when you're out there defensively, the catcher position is the only one that can be seen by everyone else on the field. Like everyone else is looking in and seeing what the catcher does. And so if there's, um, you know, something going wrong and there's bad body language, a bad mood, then every other member of that team sees that. Um, he, the, the impetus of this team gelling together, being a unit together defensively and maintaining the high level of play that this program seeks game in and game out starts behind the plate, and that's the catcher position, and, and that's what Seth Cadell uh, brought in the first weekend of the year. Update on the UNC Wilmington scores. They must be playing in a tournament. They played two and lost two. Lost to Dayton and Bryant. All right, Bryant, so there you go. Uh, trivia answer from earlier this weekend. You were a friend of the broadcast. But, um, yeah, I was going Sticking with catcher, uh, obviously Matt James um, had a nice pirate debut as well, hitting the team's first home run and obviously his first home run uh, on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, hit bombs, get a start. I mean, he comes up, he he hits his first career home run, and then right after that gets a start today in the designated hitter spot. He hit one hard again today that nearly found its way out. Um, Yeah, I mean, we're we're going to see – Matt James and Ben Newton uh, in the catcher spot and the sooner rather than later. We saw Newton come in uh, in the Saturday game and be the catcher to close out that second game of this series. But they both provide a, a little bit of a different look from each other. They both have power. They both have a couple years of experience under their belt. Uh, Newton more so than James because Matt didn't play a ton his freshman year at Notre Dame. Um, but they both had successful stints at Juco Ball. Uh, and you got a righty power bat, a lefty power bat, uh, and guys that right now Cliff Godwin trusts behind the plate. And as we just alluded to for the last couple of minutes, if he trusts you behind the plate, then a lot of other things will fall into place. Uh, so we saw some of the offensive ability that, that Matt James has uh, in the first two games uh, of the season, and uh, we'll be anxious to see what more he can provide. 
and, and kudos to Pirate Nation out in the jungle for getting that home run ball to Matt James after the game yesterday. Yeah, I saw that video pop up, and uh, that that's uh, that's something that I'm sure he was thinking about and wasn't quite sure if he'd be able to find it in that mass of humanity out there in left field. But uh, <laughs> I, had, I had no doubt that unless that ball escaped and ran across Charles Boulevard, uh, someone out there would have found it and handed it back to that man. Corey, I wanted to mention, too, that something that uh, I really loved, again, listen to the broadcast. Uh, you mentioned something uh, that stood out to me about, uh, as far as Coach is concerned, of wanting a threshold of 4,000 uh, people in the stands every single game. Uh, I think today we today we made it. Did we uh, The other two games, I don't think we made it, but um, that's something interesting. Is that something that is a... a his personal thing, is that something that you want to see across uh, college baseball as far as attendance is concerned of 4,000, or can you shed some light on that? Yeah, that was that was something that at the baseball banquet, Cliff Godwin mentioned as something that he was hoping to get for 2020, was he wanted an average of 4,000 fans uh, at home games this year and get this team into the top 15 of attendance nationwide. That 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 was that, That's kind of a driving goal for him and this program. So uh, didn't quite, uh, we, we didn't hit the four grand mark for any of the games this weekend. Uh, we, we are at the low 3,000s for, for all three games. Uh, and and it, it's tricky early in the year when you have 4 o'clock starts on a Friday um, and, and the weather's going to be fluctuating a little bit. So it, that, that'll be tricky. Um, but I thought Saturday's crowd was great. That was the highest of the weekend. And, and today's crowd was good. And it's filled in. I, I, I know a couple of you guys were there uh, on Sunday. Once the basketball game let out, that, that place really did fill in, um, which of I, I, kind, I kind of thought would happen. Um, but uh, it, it was good to see. We cracked three grand for every game. Corey, speaking of the basketball game, now, any idea why they uh, chose to have first pitch today at one with the basketball game tipping off as well? That, my friends, is the glory of television. Um, well, one, it's the Sunday games will always be like one o'clock will be the latest. Sunday games will go because the schools that we're playing have to travel back um, and, and get back at a reasonable hour. Uh, so William and Mary hopped on a bus and they got to clean up afterward. It probably takes them a good hour after a game to leave after a Sunday uh, and they have a long drive ahead of them and they have you know likely school tomorrow unless they take President's Day off, which I don't think they do. Um, and so that the Sundays will never start unless it's a tournament like the LeClaire Classic. Um, but you'll notice that every year the LeClaire Classic, the final game of the weekend, will feature a team that's driving in. And this year it's High Point um, instead of catching a flight or anything like that. Um, it, but you, that's a very rare occurrence that you will have a game later uh, than that. And so 1 o'clock was what was agreed upon with, with the Pirates and William and & Mary. Uh, and then the basketball game set at noon because that was on national TV and a lot of stuff um, is centered around TV deals like that. Uh, and so that game wasn't going to move. Baseball wasn't going to get wedged any further because William and Mary has to drive home and wants to get back at, at not four in the morning. Uh, and so that's why we had the overlap today. Okay. I was just curious, particularly with William and Mary, being in that uh, that travel window where you could even play a midweek, I think maybe things could get pushed back to two, but I, I, guess, I guess not. I guess, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So um, 
outside of some of the folks we we talked about on the offensive side that had excellent weekends. Um, uh, I tell you what, um, I'm saying I want you to pronounce his name for me. I don't want to butcher it. Um, our, our third baseman is it, is it Alex? Is it Makarevich? Alex Makarevich, yes. Okay, and I tell you what, he's a he's a prototypical third baseman. Uh, he he's a nice looking kid. And I'm excited about his future. He's uh, when I chatted with uh, with Coach Palumbo, uh, Coach Jeff Palumbo, heading into the season, and I just asked him who's who's really surprised you, who's jumped out at you at fall ball, spring ball. Um, whether it's newcomer, returner, whatever the case might be, and, and the first guy that came out of that he said was Alec Makarevich. Um And we didn't see a ton of him this weekend. He was actually – he came in briefly at third base. He was actually warming in the bullpen for a little bit as well. He is a potential two-way guy, but he's not really on that list uh, right now. The six will likely see – um, but he, he's a, he's kind of your typical looking third baseman, but he was a, a really good outfielder in high school as well, and he's been a sponge in terms of learning the D1 game and soaking up everything. Uh, and so eventually, we're going to see that kind of put into motion um, it, pretty regularly, I would imagine here at some point. But right now, it's crowded, and so whatever his role might be. Um, will certainly evolve here in the early going in the first few weeks of the season. But I can tell you, even though we saw him sporadically, one, he looks the part just when you see the guy in uniform, and, and two, the, know that the coaching staff um, is very aware of what he can do and not just because of his number 99, which I'm still trying to figure out the backstory of why 99. Um, but uh, they, they are very high on him, uh, and it's not a guy to kind of get lost in the shuffle uh, as the season gets into the early going. And what a great name, too, Makarovich. Yeah, uh, I mean, it just rolls off the tongue. Like it's, yeah, and it's I'll tell off. you what, if, if Makarovich makes me think Macarena. So if he used that as his, as his walk-up music. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to relay that and see if he even knows what the Macarena is. Because that, that's Probably not. Before, that's before <laughs> all these kids' time. Yeah. Probably the song not. was from 1997. Though he would have to be 23, and and that was actually he wouldn't even know it because uh, he wouldn't even know it because it came out that year. So Dave, he'd know it. I, some, I'm not the only person who's ever heard that last name and thought of that song. He's heard that before. No, I'm saying the the name of the. Uh, so you saying he knows the song? Yeah. So he's somebody somebody else is somebody else is goofy as me has heard his last name and said, "Hey, your last name sounds like Macarena." If there's one word I would describe you, Kyle, from LaGrange, it would be goofy. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Corey. That's the nicest of all terms we've ever heard about, Kyle. <laughs> but, no, Corey, um, I, I think we talked about this off the air, but I don't think we've talked about it since we began recording, and that is um, – Ryder Giles, a very unique situation with him today in game three, the way he was um, pulled from his first appearance and um, and obviously remained in the ball game and then came back in to get a very critical out. Um, William and Mary had the go-ahead run at the plate there, I guess it was, what, the top of the eighth, and uh, Ryder Giles was able to get a, a key punch out. Yeah, to, to spell this out, um, for those who might not have been you know, at the game, watching the game, and, and I'm sure there was probably confusion abound even if you're in the stands. 
Um, Ryder came uh, on the mound in the seventh inning uh, and struck out a pair with the bases loaded. Uh, And then he came on again to start off the eighth inning, immediately gave up three hits and a run, and then he was swapped out for Zach Agnos, who came onto the mound, got an out, but then walked the next two hitters, and and then he was lifted. And then they put Ryder back on the mound to finish out the eighth, and he got a strikeout of Tyler Solomon to leave the bases loaded again. Um, Now, here, here to the best of my recollection, it is the rule, uh, and that you can uh, you can have a position player come in and pitch, then go back to a position. Then um, the Pirates did that quite a bit uh, last year, particularly with Giles, but also with Alec Burleson a little bit. Um, and then th- there was talk last year. I-, I distinctly remember this, and I want to say it was in Houston, um, where that the, the first time they actually did that switch with Ryder, where he was at short or he was at third last year, I should say, was at third, came on the mound, and then went back to third for another pitching change. Um, they the 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 staff had clarified with the umpiring crew there in Houston that they could have brought Giles back on the mound one more time uh, if they wanted to, as long as he was still in the game. Uh, that I remember that and talking with, with, with the coaching staff after that game, uh, that that was a possibility. And today was the first time that that was ever put into practice and that I've ever seen. Um, I've never seen that up until today. Um, it it was a very unique situation. and, And if you want to get really specific, nothing really changes about his pitching line. He's got a full inning, uh, on the ledger for this game. Uh, even though it was split up amongst two different appearances on the mound. Um, it's very unique. And Ryder even said after the game, I had no idea you could actually do that. Um, I think he was surprised <laughs> by that happening as well. Um, but uh, the, the common theme for the Sunday game was relievers coming in and shutting doors when they were facing a lot of pressure. And for Ryder to do that twice, in a very unique circumstance uh, that says a lot about the medal of the kid uh, because that, that was uh, one of the strangest things I'd seen in calling my time uh, of East Carolina baseball. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about is the very fact that um, I thought it could be done. So what you're saying is, in other words, after the second time, so after that he couldn't be brought back in a third time, even if he's still on the mound. Is that what you're saying? That, to the best of my knowledge, that's that's what I've heard. That a third opportunity would not have been uh, there. Okay. Um, right. And so, uh, and I don't even know if that's just for one batter or if it could have been a multi-batter appearance. Uh, I, I have no concept. And that I'm the rule book gets really blurry and hazy when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, that's um, what I was trying to figure out. If you, when, you, when you said that, if you meant he could only face one batter, or if he if he could come in for multiple batters, he just couldn't come back in again if they put it back at third base or whatever. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's something that the the research for for me is now going to begin in earnest for that because something tells me um, this may not be the only time this year we might come across that when you talk about three quarters of the infield and at times maybe your entire infield being two way players. Um, plus, you have a couple outfielders uh, that uh, a couple other guys off the bench that could be two-way guys. Um, and amidst all of that, 
the, all the defensive changes that happened in that seventh and eighth inning uh, were were absolutely astonishing. <laughs> and this is why I this is why I use erasable pens in my scorebook because it looks clean, it looks nice, but it was absolute chaos figuring out who was playing where for those two innings. But this this team has this figured out now. Um, and that was what last, what made last year so important when it came to their two two-way guys and figuring out how to use them, knowing the specifics of things like today where you can have Giles show up two different times on the mound as long as he never left the game. Um, that, that stuff that they learned last year with, with having two high-leverage two-way players on the roster. Was that so I'm familiar with that? I, I, granted that I, I didn't get to sit there and watch the whole game all nine innings. Uh, I'm sure you asked him. Uh, was was he familiar with that rule, and had he seen that or, or done the, it? The William and Mary coach, you mean, Brian Murphy? No, no, Coach O. Oh, Coach O. Uh, coach O had never seen that either. Um, and, and, in fact, during that, that second appearance uh, for Ryder in the eighth inning, Coach O broke out the, the, broke out the baseball rule book and, and, and wanted clarification, too, because he had never seen that. Um, and and he, I don't think he ever used that, certainly. Uh, so th- this was this was a very new occurrence for I think everybody involved, uh, and, including the guy who was out on the mound doing it. And Corey, you made an excellent point on what you said as far as Ryder Giles' makeup because he had obviously been lifted from the game um, just because he wasn't getting the job done at that juncture, and then um, was inserted and then and and then did get the job done. I mean, it wasn't a situation where you had a. Um, Lefty lefty matchup or something like that, and then you inserted him back into the game. This and so that makes it even more impressive that Ryder uh, was able to buckle down and get that key out. Yeah, and I think I think the biggest difference here is that you know Ryder didn't leave the game after after that as a first appearance in the eighth inning, opening up that inning. He just went right back into the infield, and so right, he had right. to reset and, and and he had to focus on a lot of other things and not dwell on. Uh, you know the, the the three hits to start off the frame, and now the game was getting tighter. He could just, he, he went out there and did what his normal gig is, and that's be a shortstop and and, and be there defensively and try and communicate with with Agnos, who was on the hill at that point, and and be kind of the leader on the infield that the shortstop usually is. So um, it takes a very short memory to scrub that out, and then immediately go and reset what you need to do. And then to flip that switch back on again uh, when you maybe weren't anticipating it and go out there and strike out the guy that you struck out the inning before uh, when a similar situation. Um, and only this time he was the lead run standing at home plates. Uh, it, it was uh, it was impressive and something that, uh, I mean, before we even started recording, we were talking about it. Uh, and it's something that shouldn't get lost in the shuffle uh, from this weekend because if we're going to see it again, we know Ryder has the capability of, of doing that, which is which is rare to find across the sport. Yeah, and Corey, you about seeing it again, and, and, and you mentioned Coach O, as long as he's been around baseball, not being familiar with it and having to go through the rule book, uh, it makes me wonder if we're going to run into an umpiring crew somewhere along the year that tells the coach you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's fair um, because, and this is where just the, the explanation of it um, comes into fruition. Uh, you know, it, it, there wasn't any sort of meeting between Cliff and, and Max Stokes, who was the, um, the home on plate umpire today, uh, when he brought Ryder back out for the second time. 
Um, there was a conversation before the first time, and so I wonder if that – now, that could be double switch related, whatever the case might be, but that also might have been mentioned in some capacity just to clarify that rule. It's the first time we had seen Ryder on the mound this year, uh, and, and just to get that all squared away, um, that, that that was a possibility and got it confirmed. There was nothing in terms of um, – you know, rejection or consternation from the William and Mary side of things as well when, when the, all that happened. Uh, and so it seemed like everyone was on the same page when it, when it came to that today, um, at least the primary parties involved. Everyone else watching was probably thoroughly confused. <laughs> but uh, but, I, but we, all, we all learned something new today, I think, is the biggest takeaway. Yeah, something, no we, something we haven't even talked about, guys. How about air free baseball and Pirates did not commit an E all weekend? Oh, wow. That's, that's yeah. Good, good point. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Particularly early that's, in the year. And particularly when you're talking about uh, an almost entirely brand new infield uh, yes. from what we had seen <laughs> last year, which was a great defensive club last year. But you got uh, three sophomores and a freshman on the infield uh, for this for these three games this weekend. Uh, you've got uh, a junior catcher. You've got your outfield kind of being reshaped here and there with, with Burleson going into left for the last two games. We had Jane out there on, on opening day. And um, you, you still have, you know, a sophomore in right field. you got a junior in center field. You have no seniors to speak of except for when Nick Barber started first base on, on, on Saturday. Um, and, and, to, and you're talking about Saturday with a contact pitcher on the mound. Uh, performing to the level that they did. Um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, this team does pride itself on defense. It gets lost in the shuffle behind um, how this team can put up a ton of runs at any given moment, and then this weekend certainly just what they did on the hill. Um, but make no mistake, uh, that this, this group is very well aware of how well they performed defensively uh, throughout this weekend. And, you know, you were talking about with uh, pitching, uh, but because of pitching is obviously part of the defense, and if you can have the lights out from the pitching and the air-free baseball that we saw this weekend, man, we were talking earlier about the pitching, but you can have a lot of wins come in 2020. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw a little bit of everything this team is capable of. And, you know, part of the defense is, you're right, the, the pitcher locking things down. And this team struck out 44 tribe hitters <laughs> this weekend. I mean, wow. So if, if you don't. If you don't allow them to put the ball in play, uh, then then your defense has a little bit of an easier go of things. Uh, and certainly, I mean, they struck out 17 today, um, and to just kind of go up there and get not just you know strikeouts, but big time strikeouts like what we saw in Sunday's game, where every inning, which William and Mary was rallying, seemed to end with a punch out. Um, and, and that takes some pressure off your defense and gets them more comfortable. Uh, and then working quickly, too. That, that's another element that I think this team pulled off really well and that, that the pitchers kept going, and they kept a rhythm about them. Uh, and so especially when, when Cooch Manor's on the hill, he'd get the ball and go, but Tyler Smith was working with pace. Alec Burleson was working quickly. All the relievers came in with a purpose, uh, and they weren't slowing things down even if runners were on base. Uh, and that keeps the defense engaged so that when they have to make a play, they're at the ready for it. Very, very impressive start to the season, and I know we're going to have a lot of fun covering. Uh, Corey, want to look ahead, if we can, for this coming week. Uh, first off with Campbell. Uh, I know it's a trip to Bowie's Creek, and 
we think a lot of uh, – I tell you what, Justin here is is an incredible coach. They have a credible program there, the Camels do. And uh, certainly last year I remember being very cold. I think it was raining or it's definitely cold. I remember that. Uh, what are your thoughts going into the Campbell game? Yeah, last year I think it was 40. It was some mist. Uh, it was a pretty miserable night, and it was a very odd game. Uh, in Bowie's Creek. That that ballpark has been strange to ECU since they renovated it and changed it. Um, I, I think, uh, uh, color me pleasantly surprised that um, that Justin Hare is still the head coach at Campbell. Like, I, I think he's, he's now proven himself over the last couple of years when they have doubled up regular season and conference tournament championships in 18 and 19 and getting on the doorstep of the super regionals last year, like they were, um, being one win away, there's no, you know, secret about them now. They aren't, you know, oblivious to the college baseball world. They've announced themselves and, and his ability, Justin Hare's ability to continually reset recruiting cycles. Uh, that's a program that uses the JUCO ranks as good as anybody is certainly in this area, but I'd put that up against anybody in the country. Um, he does a, a fantastic job uh, of, of reloading, and they lose a, a couple big horses from last year's team. Matthew Barefoot's gone, and that's an all-pro player. Um, so how they piece that together will be unique to see. I love seeing that team early um, because they will be a radically different team when they come to Greenville in May. Um, and so um, it's always unique playing Campbell and their home opener. That place usually fills out. Um, for these ECU games. So that's going to be, um, as per usual, opening midweek at Campbell will be a fun, um, interesting, unique test for this group uh, on Wednesday. In fact, I remember you saying you can count on death, taxes, and opening of the first uh, midweek game is going to be at Campbell. I remember you saying that. This this is my fifth year, my fifth year doing this, and five years in a row the first midweek game has been at Campbell. And then every five years in a row the last midweek game is hosting Campbell I mean it's 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 kind of amazing like they, they just have a natural agreement hey you're not booked for this first Wednesday you're not booked for this last Tuesday we're gonna play I mean it, it's I mean there's a great relationship between the two programs and it's great that this has become um now I, we, we say this from the team that came back to beat the other in the regional I don't know how they how, how the folks at Campbell feel about this um, but that this matchup has become more than just a regional, you know, two games on the schedule sort of matchup. But now there is some real um, anticipation playing these two uh, and going there and them coming here. And it's one of those games that now when you look at the schedule, you know where they're going to be, but just to make sure you have it circled with what happened between these two last year. Um, it, it's great for this, for, for Eastern North Carolina to have these two playing at the level that they have and playing at the level they have against each other over the last couple of years because you, you love the, the rivalries that exist in a sport like this. And to have Campbell blossom into one uh, that it has over the last two seasons is great, especially when you're meeting this early in the season. If our listeners who may be curious what Campbell did this weekend, they were down in Mobile, Alabama, uh, taking on South Alabama a very good Sunbelt program. The Jaguars are ranked 23rd, and I know they took down Campbell one to nothing uh, on Friday, and then 12 to 10 yesterday. And Campbell was able to avoid the sweep with the seven to three victory today. 
Yep, they they grabbed the final game of that double header. Uh, yeah, it was a double header Saturday. They came back. Okay, okay, Sunday. okay. Yeah, um, okay. and so they played two on Saturday, so they will have an extra day um, of, of rest about them here. And I mean, we're talking about a Wednesday game, so rest shouldn't be a big issue, especially this early in the season. But one of the things that Coach Godwin alluded to after the Sunday game. We, we didn't see everybody out of this bullpen uh, throughout the weekend with William & Mary, and it's very possible we'll see some of those guys that we haven't seen show up Wednesday uh, against Campbell. So um, whoever we see on the mound, they, they maybe haven't thrown yet. So all the, all the accolades we've thrown to the pitching staff, we could be elaborating even more on those because we haven't even seen everybody yet. Corey, I was going to ask you the, you the nice segue there as far as Campbell's concerned. Who's going to be our first? Midweek guy, do you have a, do you have in your mind uh, uh, who it could be? I know you have your crystal ball right there. Who do you think it'll be? Unless you just uh, go down there to Boys Creek and find out, Dave. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> or tune in at 4:45 on Wednesday, where we will tell you. Um, I, I have no idea who they will actually be choosing here. This is me coming from me here. Um, I thought heading into the weekend um, that it might have been Garrett Saylor. Um, he pitched twice now against William and Mary, so I don't know if that will be in the cards. Um, if it is, it'll be a, a short appearance. Uh, we did not see Evan Odom this weekend, and so that's my that's now where I'm leaning as a possibility to start on Wednesday. Um, he was dealing with a little bit of of soreness in spring. Got a couple of innings under him in the last couple of weeks of scrimmage. Um, he has started uh, he started a game before. He's had pretty good success in midweeks in his career with the Pirates. So that is my uneducated, no idea guess. Is that if it, if Adam, Evan Odom doesn't start, then I, I believe we'll see him on Wednesday. Um, but that's my guess now as we sit here on a Sunday night. It's not like me. I never put you on the spot, Corey, on the show. Never. So I mean, I was so nervous right there. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, then next weekend, uh, the Eagles from the Georgia Southern fly into Greenville. Corey, what do you, what do you, wow. what do you know about what you, I see what you did there. You're trying to just cover it up, but you made a pun, and you should be very happy about that. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> they, they are picked to win their division in the Sun Belt, and we have discussed this a couple of times about how. Um, that's a, a name program that probably doesn't warrant a lot of attention at the moment nationally, but it's worth your time. Um, they, they were third in the Sun Belt last year. They made a deep run the tournament, but they ran into the wall that is Coastal Carolina, um, which has really seized ownership of that conference since moving there. Um, but that's a high-caliber club that's coming in that is projected to do quite a bit um, in this 2020 season. So I, I would encourage folks um, not to look past this weekend. Uh, this is where I, I stress that, you know, the, the average attendance is, is hopeful for four grand a game, and um, that, that requires being out to every game possible, even if um, you, you don't think Georgia Southern is uh, an interesting name. I can promise you that they will be, and that those will be three extremely competitive games coming up uh, coming up this weekend. So um, do not look past this because the, the LeClaire Classics coming up next weekend. Um, Georgia Southern uh, requires your attention, and, and I, hope, uh, I hope that place is filled out for those three games. 
And I, I believe they may have had one game that they uh, had canceled against Ball State. That's who they opened up with this weekend. I want to say that they they won the the two they were able to get in, and I think one was like seven to four, and I'm not sure the other one. I think it was maybe pretty lopsided. Yeah, the sneaky part about the the first you know couple weeks of the year um, is you know, now that we're out of the William and Mary series, who's projected middle of the CAA. Um, the, the next five opponents here are all picked to do some serious damage in their respective leagues. It, it starts with Campbell on Wednesday, and then Georgia Southern. You have Elon, who won the CAA next week, and then Indiana, always hovering around the top of the Big Ten, and then Ole Miss, who just took two or three from the number one team in the country this weekend. So um, those are the next five opponents on the schedule leading into the LeClaire Classic. Um, and they all are high-caliber clubs um, that are that I would pay very close attention to, not just over the next two weeks, but as this season progresses. Because if the Pirates come out of these games with victories, then you're going to want to see how a Georgia Southern does in Sunbelt play. And you're going to want to see how Campbell does in Big South play. Because when they're good, that's very helpful for you. I mean, it's baseball is a unique animal where you want to beat the stuffings out of a team like Campbell when you see them on Wednesday, and then right after that you hope they rampage through everyone that they see until you see them again. And so um, that uh, it's mutually beneficial to, to have them good just after Wednesday, and that will be the case of Georgia Southern this weekend as well. This, this schedule in the, the next two weeks of the year um, is sneaky loaded for this team, and it's a great test for a group that uh, that's half new, even though they all look like veterans this weekend. Um, still a road game coming up, which they haven't experienced, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Corey, Justin. taking a look around, around the American, uh, since we were talking about other scores, I know today UConn picked up a, a very big win uh, over Michigan. Obviously, Eric Backich, Nick Schnabel, um, former Pirates, that we're here in the number 23 for the Wolverines, and everybody knows what they did a season ago. So, huge win there for the Huskies, but... Um, Give us a glance at what took place around the league for our listeners who may not have may not have known. Yeah, there wasn't a ton that was really out of character for the league uh, this weekend. Uh, the UConn matchup is that they lost to Vanderbilt Saturday night, uh, and then they they were in danger of of leaving Scottsdale zero and three, and their their bats were really quiet in the first two games. The, the Cal Poly game was was hard to figure to open the season. Um, but then, uh, and then they ran the Kumar Rocker uh, at Vanderbilt, who's probably the best pitcher in the country heading into 2020. Uh, and then they they got right, and they got the bats cooking today against Michigan, and that's a a, a a great win. And needed win might be a strong term for this early in the year, but I can't imagine UConn had plans or visions of leaving Scottsdale 0 and 3. Um, especially after losing the Cal Poly, they they needed a win and they got one against the top ten team, which is um, which is helpful for them right off the bat and, and great for the league right off the bat. Uh, outside outside of that, the conference pretty much held serve elsewhere. Wichita State was on the road at Northwestern State for a pretty weird series to start the year. UCF won all four against Siena Tulane. Um, swept uh, swept Florida Gulf Coast, which was uh, which was a, a, a bit of an eyebrow raiser. Tulane's a, a decent club as long as they could keep that offense going from what they were last year. And Florida Gulf Coast is very good, so it's a good series sweep for Tulane. And, and Houston won their rubber match today. 
Um, and, and Memphis, I think, I got a sweep against Xavier. No, Xavier uh, beat Memphis today. Oh, Xavier beat him today. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I saw Memphis was up early. Um, you know, right now things aren't, I mean, we're early on. Uh, nothing was really out of ordinary from my you point of view. You might have mentioned this too, Corey. Uh, Wichita State lost to Northwestern State today. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Two out of three. Yeah, that that's, Wichita State is, is a unique group this year um, with with Eric Wedge now taking over uh, and them opening on the road, which is, is a little bit needed in, in the heart of Kansas, so they could probably buy opening up the year at home. Um, yeah. So starting off the year on the road is, is unique for a program like Wichita State, and they still won two out of three on the road. Um, yeah, not a lot out of the ordinary around the league. Uh, through through weekend number one, I would say. Corey, I wanted to mention, too, a couple more things before we let you go. I appreciate you've been way beyond generous uh, with your time. Uh, Friday night, we were talking about Michigan and uh, Vanderbilt, a rematch of the College World Series. Uh, I thought one of the weirdest ejections ever in the history of baseball, college baseball. Oh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to get early your thoughts front on runner. Yes, early front runner for a WTF moment college baseball. Yes. Yeah, can you can you talk about that because you're more deep in the sport as far as being an announcer, you have to know everything. Um what were your thoughts on that cuz I saw over and over again I watched that video uh Friday night seeing if there was any words exchanged is there um is had to be something it, earlier in the game is what I think. Well, I, I the, the when I first saw it it was with the sound off. So I didn't hear what might have right. been the explanation out of that. Um, the only thing I can think of, I mean, there, it looks like the hitter said something. It was very brief. Um, maybe he struck one of those magic words that just got under the mask of, of that umpire. Uh, and, 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 Kyle, you're right. Maybe there was something earlier in the game as well. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, there was also it, the, the only thing, the only motion I saw was the hitter kind of taking the bat and just kind of swinging it down very casually towards the back end of the batter's box after he was not pleased with that strike call, but he didn't do anything really, you know, emotive. He wasn't he wasn't angry uh, about anything. Um, he just kind of it was almost like he was kind of using a nine iron and tapping dirt off of his cleats. Like he just kind of swung the bat down to, um, and it tapped the dirt behind the batter's box. And that was when the umpires threw him out. And so yeah. I don't, I don't know what that was. Um, and uh, in college baseball, you rarely get explanations when stuff like that happens, unless the team talks about it in some capacity. Um, but that, that's a, um, I mean, we got a long season to go, but that's a, that's a front runner for uh, a strange um, and frankly unnecessary moment. And that was late in the game, too. That was a close game. Ninth inning, right? That was ninth inning, and that was right before Michigan took the lead. Um, And so uh, that could have had a huge impact on everything there, and it did the opposite direction. Um, So maybe there was more than we don't know. Maybe something didn't happen earlier in the game that provoked that kind of boiling over. Um, But that certainly struck me as wildly unnecessary on the surface. And also, uh, before we let you go, too, Want to mention we need to do movie lines. We can do that really fast. But my uncle Roger, Roger Craig, <laughs> um, is turning 90 tomorrow, February 17th, 1930. His 90th birthday is tomorrow, and he's the reason why I love sports and the reason why I love baseball so much. 
And All-time manager of the San Francisco Giants, Roger Craig. Right, that's correct. And, of course, uh, he actually, a lot of people know him for the split-finger fastball. He was the manager for the Giants in the Earthquake Series in 1989, pitching coach for the 1984 Detroit Tigers, one of the best Major League Baseball teams of all time, uh, winning over 100 games before there was any wild-card division series. Anyway, I just want to send him a shout-out, tell him how much I love him, and I wanted to do it extra innings. I couldn't do it without a huge milestone tomorrow being 90 years old. Wow. I, I, that is, uh, that's pretty great, my man. Happy birthday to you, Roger. That's pretty awesome. 90. That's a long haul. That's, yes, that's it a is. Good, that's a good run. No doubt about it. Uh, as far as movie lines, Corey, uh, we actually been caught up in the moment of a lot of pirate uh, sports this weekend. Um, but did you guys have anything for Corey? Do you have at least one line, two, three lines? Yeah, I was trying to think of something related to Georgia Southern. I was trying to think of movies. Well, Kyle, okay. Kyle, while you're thinking, um, I'll give you a couple moments to, to sit on that one. Um, that's what I – Say that again? Nothing. Go ahead. No, Corey knows where I'm going here. I mentioned this to him uh, yesterday. Um, dude, perfect. A lot of folks are familiar with their trick shot videos that are out there, YouTube sensations and uh, otherwise. So, uh, dude, perfect. One of their phrases that you'll hear in their videos. And I, I don't know the exact origin of this. I, I knew the pound it part, obviously a fist bump, but, um, like pound it, noggin, see ya. And I, I mentioned that to Corey yesterday and he said that's perhaps the weirdest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> pound it, noggin, see ya. Yeah, well, that's just perfect for a home run. Pound it, yeah, home run. I mean, yeah. yeah, that's the obvious place to put it for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, but it, it truly uh, that like you talk about three different phrases that mean nothing together. <laughs> I mean, that is just I mean, that that is just pure ridiculousness. Yes, it is. Have we got anything, Dave? You're the movie guy. Don't want to keep Corey on the phone all night. I hit him with some movie lines. Trying to think of things, you know, maybe I'm overthinking. Trying to think of things related to the state of Georgia, movies yeah. based in Georgia. What came into mind was Deliverance. Uh, you know, something about a pretty mouth. I don't... <laughs> yeah, that's one of those. How well that would be received. Um, I was thinking about a classic song like Georgia on my mind, but I mean, you know, um, that might be too way too easy. I was trying to think of any other. I mean. Uh, Dave, while you're thinking, I, I have another one, um, and I think Corey may have used this one before. I'm not 100%, so I'll still put it out there. The 1980 movie Airplane um, is just talking about, um, it looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. Yeah, I think there was a <laughs> variation of that one. I don't know if that was the specific line. Um, it was one of those looks like I picked a wrong a wrong week line for Lloyd Bridges. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember if it was that one. That's one of my but, favorite yeah, comedies of all time, um, for sure, no doubt about it. Yeah, we're we, doing terrible with these movie lines. We're not well. We're working. No, we're working. I, I, no, I know what I was. No, I've got. got, got, got Dave, you got something? Well, we talked about it last week. One of my favorite movies from the 1980s. So uh, you guys really? mentioned it. Ferris Bueller. We got to do some Bueller. Ferris Bueller lines. Uh, let's see. Uh, how about this? <laughs> the line that uh, that me and Bubba were talking about the other day, 
Uh, <laughs> don't, don't, I don't even remember the context of why me and Bubba were having this conversation privately. But, uh, but uh, Corey, if you can get in, do you have a kiss for Daddy? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Ferris picks up Sloan Peterson. Yeah, and, uh, he's that's a deep cut line from that movie. There are he, so he many. He dressed up as her dad, if you remember yeah. the part. And, and Sloan comes walking out to school, and Ferris goes, "Do you have a kiss for dad?" <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. Then, like you're saying, Kyle, the, something brought up that movie. Principal. Yeah, they come to the principal, and he's really freaked out about. So that's that. how things are in that family. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great deep cut line from that movie. There are some obvious contenders, but that like flies under the radar. In terms what of do you like? Which ones do you like, Corey? Well, I mean, the, the ending monologue is great. Yeah. You can obviously go to when they're at the Cubs game. That's an obvious go-to for what we're talking about here. Um, and then, uh, frankly, when uh, Charlie Sheen and uh, Jennifer Gray are in the police station, their conversation together is pretty great that I also feel like it's overlooked. I don't even remember. I remember yeah. Charlie, Charlie Sheen and Jennifer Gray in the police station. I do not remember the conversation. Like, I think it involves, like, them wanting to get married in some capacity. Like, suddenly they just start talking about getting married. And then, okay. then she wants to get married. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I do Kyle, remember that. I don't remember the exact lines, but I do remember that. Kyle, can't you imagine Coach O, if uh, Corey broke out, do you have a kiss for Daddy? You've got to get it in. You've got to get, again, again, that's, that's, uh, you know, that, that would be perfect to get for a home run. And he's just, you know. Do you have a kiss for daddy? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, Coach O would no say, way. "I'm, I'm gonna step out right, right yeah, quick. Well, time to go." Yeah, there's no way to say that line without sounding terribly creepy. <laughs> I'm I'm out out of doing course. Like a walk off Friday night. I, I believe in you. I believe in you. <laughs> if it's a, what do you think of like if it's a walk off? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Right. <laughs> 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 you know, there, he comes around third and he slides in. Do you have a kiss for daddy? Oh Quinn, do you have a kiss for daddy? <laughs> Corey's like, I want to get off this podcast. I am not, a, I am not amused. That is that 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 line of the many that specifically Kyle has sent my way. That's one of the trickiest lines ever. He, he always so gives you. You can get it in, Corey. You can get because it in. it's like it's like, be a hero. Oh, I, can, I can do it, but I also like my job. And 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 Corey's not a daddy, so that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> Corey, you could just go off on a story. Maybe it's a dull point of the game. And my father looked down at me when he got home from work after a long day when I was about four years old and said, "Do you have a kiss for daddy?" That's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. All Corey. Right. We read Thanks. As we as we pointed out earlier, Corey, that we have a professional podcast here. We don't want to get too too too, uh, too drawn down in the silliness. So. And, and, <laughs> and guys, and I have, wonder why people don't take us seriously, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, man, thank you so much. I'm glad that you actually again are at your house. You're a Green Billion. We're so happy we've. Uh, all the word of you since 2016, all those road trips back and forth, not only to the airport, but certainly uh, to Winston-Salem. 
now you could enjoy a lot of barbecue, enjoy all the pirate fans who think the world of you. I heard so many today uh, brag about you and the broadcast uh, as we were at the game. So uh, thank you so much for being a regular. Will you wrap it up? I got, I got, I got, I got, I got <laughs> oh, nearly more. nailed the dismount, and here with Kyle. Corey, wait, 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 that's right. All right, Corey, man, thank you so much. Uh, Kyle and Bubba, appreciate it very much. Pirate get, Pirates get the big sweep. Good luck this weekend. Campbell, in the midweek, and of course, we want to rock out Clark LeClaire Stadium this weekend against Georgia Southern. It's going to be a great week for the Pirates. Good luck. You've been listening to Extra Innings right here on the Sports Objective Podcast. You've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective, and the objective is sports.